Iran's democracy under threat around the world. The numbers show an erosion of support, according to the U.S.-based Freedom House. For the 14th consecutive year, it found global freedom has been chipped away. While Donald Trump and the actions of January 6th will likely get the most fingers pointed, democracy has been under siege longer than the last four years. Hello and welcome to the Unpublished TV. I'm Ed Hand. We're coming to you from a remote location and practicing physical distancing to enhance safety. Many of us stared at the TV screen in disbelief as the U.S. Capitol was sacked by Trump supporters. Five people died in that event. For the past four years, the world was watched in disbelief as lies and distortion became the norm out of the White House. Democracy and democratic are words that get thrown around to Trump at the system that allows everyone to take part. But does it, though? Tonight on Unpublished TV, we'll take a look at the state of democracy today as well as the threats to it. And joining us to discuss, Nelson Wiseman, Professor of Political Science at the University of Toronto. Shauna Sylvester is the Executive Director of the Morris J. Wasks Center for Dialogue at Simon Fraser University. And Scott Gilmore is a former diplomat and columnist with McLean's Magazine. And thank you all for joining us. And I guess first off, Nelson, we'll start with you. How would you characterize the state of democracy in Canada today? In Canada, I don't think it's much different than it's been in the past. If anything, I would say it's more vibrant uh, because there are so many more channels. Uh, the, the media is more sophisticated than it was, let's say, 50 or 70 years ago. Uh, I think we have an active civil society. Uh, we've got a charter of rights, which I think has contributed to uh, democratic dialogue. Uh, so I don't have... Uh, much issue with the state of democracy in Canada, especially when I look around the world. Shauna, how do you feel about uh, democracy in Canada today? Well, I might agree with some of the essentials that Dr. Wiseman has noted, but I would say that there are some alarming and concerning pieces of what's going on in democracy. We're seeing polarization in this country. Um, we do see that there isn't really a means by which uh, our politicians can speak to all Canadians. And you're seeing through social media greater extremism. You've got a third of Canadians that believe that um, foreign-born Canadians should not have the same rights as Canadian-born uh, citizens, which is a real concern. But at the same time, I, I would like to agree with some of the things that Dr. Wiseman is saying. You do have a very vibrant set of democratic institutions. And where we really need to put the focus is really ensuring that our democratic culture is as vibrant and as healthy and as robust as the history of our democratic institutions are. And I think that's where we've got some work to do. Scott, how do you feel about democracy in Canada today? You know, I, I have mixed feelings about it, depending on the day and depending on the hour of the day. Um, <laughs> on one hand, I agree with Dr. Wiseman. Um, it does seem to be a much more active and vibrant political culture. I sit in Ottawa mostly. And, you know, just simply having the Green Party on the Hill is a significant jump forward for us in terms of, you know, different voices. But at the same time, as Shauna says, there are a lot of worrying things that take place that we see every day on social media and in the news. Um, but I think one thing that consoles me is that we are seeing those things. I think they existed before. But they're being dragged into the daylight much more frequently now because of the access to social media. You know, it's very difficult to be a, um, a white supremacist in this country without somebody knowing about it, frankly, because you're going to be on the forums, you're going to be on YouTube and, and other people get to see it. So I think 
it feels like things are in rough shape, but that's mostly because we're seeing things more clearly than we ever have before. Uh, Nelson, Canadians can be a bit smug when it comes to to the U.S. and and you know obviously Donald Trump ends his term on Wednesday. Uh, do you ever see a, a, a time when Canada would have to deal with a leader quite like that? It's possible, but our, our political culture is um, somewhat different than the U.S. It's more collectivist. It's more deferential. Uh, uh, it's not as polarized. Uh, you know, we're seeing that in the pandemic in terms of uh, the approach to it. Uh, it's essentially because the roots of our cultures are different. Uh, they have a revolutionary culture, very, uh, very individualist, high emphasis on, on freedom, on minimal government, and our traditions have been quite different. So it, it's possible in Canada, but it's less likely. And what we've, and, and, and in fact, just the fact that we have a government that calls itself liberal. Uh, it seems to me would be inconceivable in the states where liberals even have to run under a different label. Hmm, interesting point. Uh, now, Scott, you know, we look back at uh, January 6th, and I think we were all quite shocked at what we saw and what happened. Do you ever see something like that happening again? Or can we look back at democracies a bit and, and see has, has something like that happened? Insurrection? Well, you know, the lens I was looking at that through was based on a lot of the experiences I've had overseas where when I was with foreign affairs and then afterwards I, I ran a charity that operated in, in what we used to euphemistically call uh, conflict-prone uh, countries. And you saw that a lot. I, I remember very vividly watching almost the exact same dynamic take place in Jakarta after the fall of Sohardo. And so that that populist anger that that suddenly boils over and has a, a dramatic impact on the actual the government of the day, that's it's been happening for thousands of years, and I'm sure it will continue to happen. And as as Nelson said, it's unlikely to happen in Canada, but it's not impossible. And I, I can imagine scenarios where we would see something similar to January six down the road. Really, eh? uh, you know, Shauna. Um something that uh, Scott had uh, touched on and it was populism. And that is something that I, I think is at the crux of the whole issue about democracy or things that are threatening democracy is this rise of populism. Not well, obviously it's in the U S but it is here in Canada too. And I want to distinguish between a race-based violent populism and the kind of populism where you see a leader that is appealing to citizens. I think there is a difference. And I think what you've seen in the States is a real growth in race-based violent populism. And if you remember, there, there was an attempt in the last election to appeal to some of those kinds of sensibilities here in Can Canada. And, and I think specifically of some of the rhetoric that came from Maxime Bernier in the last election, that didn't fly well here. Now, where, where my concern is, and, and, and I've heard, I actually really agree with Dr. Wiseman and, and Scott Gilmore that it is different here. We do have a different tradition, a much greater collective sensibility. But we are seeing real polarization happen quite, un, people don't know how much their echo chambers are taking them to more extreme positions. 
And well, in Ottawa, I always, I, I'm based in British Columbia and I'll be honest, mm. it's very, very hard to have a conversation in this city with anyone at a dinner table about what's going on in Ottawa or what's going on in the rest of the Canada. It tends to be a little more parochial. And I keep wondering how would, if I was sitting in an, an, a community, let's just say uh, north of Kitimat, if I was working in a community that is indigenous, in a community that never signed treaties and are looking at the kinds of conversations we're having about democracy and the institutions and the way that they protect and our collective sensibilities, I might have a very different perspective on democracy than what we're sharing around the table here. And I think what's happening in Canada is to go back to what Scott says, we're actually surfacing now some of those cleavages that we've seen, some of that balkanization that you've seen. Being on the West Coast, we do think very differently about the country. I might look East, but I'm gonna equally look North uh, for leadership. And it's a very different sensibility than what I might think when I'm in Ottawa. So I think that's a really important point is these things are starting to surface some of the cracks in that federalism are starting to show. And it's how we try and address that and the kinds of dialogues that we look at them, that we really examine them and not gloss over them that this is a great democracy and everything is well, because it's not. Not everything is well and it really depends on where you are in this country in relationship to that. Now, Nelson, what, what do you think fuels the populism that's obviously it's rampant in the US but is growing in Canada? Uh, I've heard the word polarization a number of times. I think it's largely mm -hmm. a function of uh, the nature of media, especially uh, social media and the way, the way it works, which is it encourages echo chambers through these algorithms. You know, if, if something gets expressed, then you get flooded with all these uh, similar sentiments and that builds uh, polarization. The other thing I would say, and I don't think that's going to change. I mean, we don't know now, you know, government and big media are actually both in a, in a struggle now between who's going to control this. And there are major challenges, but I, you know, I'm not a technical expert in that area, but that, that debate is now unfolding, especially after January the 6th, but it, the roots of it were there before. And we had some moves in Europe. Um, let me just say something more broadly about democracy. Democracy means the power of the people. But to me, democracy isn't just voting or, or people speaking. I'm concerned, we, we mentioned the vibrant civil society, about independent courts where you have um, uh, independent judges and, and, and judicial review and uh, a free media. And we have those things in the country you know, and, and we may be unhappy the way, you know, certain, what certain media say, like the rebel or so on, if you go there. Uh, but uh, it, it, when you look at Canada comparatively, we're in really good shape. And if we look at democracy in the world, I would also say we've made great advances. When I think of parts of the world like Africa, which I would say on the whole is more democratic than it's ever been and South America compared to what it was 50, 70 years ago, there's also been dramatic advances. Or I look at societies like Japan and Korea. So on the whole, internationally, I think uh, democracy is still uh, a model for, for people in, in countries that aren't democratic. And uh, 
and Canada's in fairly good shape. I'm repeating myself there, but on the issue of polarization, that's in the nature of media. And I don't think that issue is going to be um, resolved very easily or quickly. How, how much does uh, Scott uh, technology come into this as well? And okay, we social media, we talk about Facebook, we talk about Twitter, etc. But the owners of Facebook, the owner of Twitter, they get to decide they're the last people who say that's banned that will not be out on there or it will be. And that's that, that's not all that not 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 all that cool right now. Yeah, it's it's complicated to say the least. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I'm often reminded when, when I get into these conversations about a point that uh, a, a writer named Dan Gartner uh, makes. He's a Canadian mm -hmm. uh, uh, writer yep. and former journalist. And he often points out that we're dealing with 21st century technology using brains that were hardwired to survive on the Serengeti. And we simply don't have the, the the faculties that are necessary for us to maintain our objectivity in the in these virtual realities that we've created for ourselves. And so, as Nelson says, it's 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 a worry. Now, who's in charge of that? Of navigating that? Of solving that problem? It's going to be a mixture of technocrats, technology billionaires, governments, people. We're going to muddle our way through it. Each country is going to do it slightly differently. And the way that Canada has been approaching it so far seems to me to be one of the you know, better approaches. You know, Shauna, we, we talk about democracy and, you know, obviously we've seen the last four years down in the States and, you know, other leaders do pay attention to things like that. I'm not going to say that's the situation in India right now, but things are starting to shift in that direction, are they not? In India? Yes, you, you more. So I actually think India is having such a vibrant, interesting democracy. And 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 just to correct, I I I would like to to look at the fact that we are seeing declines in the world on the number of democracies. This isn't a vibrant, thriving. We are seeing a retraction, and that's the first time in years. And like Scott, I've spent a lot of time in conflict and post-conflict zones trying to look at democracies and failing democracies. And some of the things that you're looking at are, are you seeing people start to stratify in their own, according to their own identities? So are you seeing people, I think of in Guyana, the moment that we saw groups of people only shop at certain places? if there was an alignment and you start to politicize very common activities, that's where you start to get concerned about the breakdowns. So let's come back to what's going on in Canada and the things that we need to start looking at is are we seeing people express themselves in political terms about everyday things? Is everything becoming politicized as you've seen in the States? I can't speak to India because I'm not current. I used to do a lot of work there, but I'm not current right now in what's going on there. But I'm looking at in Canada. And I'm starting to say is, okay, where are those places where we do come together in association with one another to talk to each other across difference, across fences? Where do those occasions occur? Many of us who read the media think everybody reads the media. I can't find any friends that read the same media that I do. We don't have those common spaces, public squares, where we come together. 
So it's quite easy for us to fragment and then to become, our social networks become more and more aligned with those that we self-identify with. This is concerning. And this is where the whole area of dialogue and building out that democratic culture is so critical, critical to Canada right now. And it's also really critical to how our governments talk to citizens. I think the days of you know, putting out the white papers, having a good policy dialogue and developing good policy are over because you're going to increasingly see elites being identified with governments and the rest of the citizens here. 69% of Canadians don't believe that even when they try that they can have a difference in our democracy. That's a serious concern from a democratic point of view. So how do you build up? How do you build that dialogue? I know I've taken us a little bit further away from India, but I, I just wanted to capture the conversation that was going on because I am concerned with the future of democracy in the world. And this has been my passion for the last 35 years. And I am very concerned. Uh, yeah, you brought up an interesting point in talking about politics enveloping everything. Every, every Everything you do, go to the store, go to the school, go to the park, whatever, is it, politicized. And, and Scott, those things don't have to be politicized, do they? And, and maybe that's part of the problem. We, we, everything be, gets put into a silo. You're Republican, you're liberal, yeah. you're whatever, right? I'm actually working on a project right now. We're going to be launching in, in March. It's a, it's mostly focused in the United States. It's it's being funded by a Canadian philanthropist named Frank Joustra out of uh, Vancouver and an American Frank, uh, philanthropist with a, a recognizable name, Kimball Musk, um, who was one of the, the co-founders of SpaceX and, and Tesla. And one of the challenges we began to look at is where are those spaces, as Shauna says, where red and blue America come together, rural, urban America, white collar, blue collar, you know, what do they share? And the list is really, really short. You know, it's not sports. It's, mm -hmm. it's not food. It's, it's very, very small. And we actually found a niche that we we're going to try to explore and see if we can try to create that, that forum. And it's around the most unlikely thing, which is gardening. Gardening is one of those things that cuts across, uh, at least in the, in the context of the United States or in North American culture, across class lines, political lines, socioeconomic lines. And so we're launching something called the Million Gardens Movement, where we're trying to create a community of gardeners. And one of our underlying hopes, our implied hopes, is by bringing people together so they begin to identify less as being you know, a Republican and more as just being a gardener, part of a community of gardeners, that in doing that, they will find themselves interacting with their, their fellow citizens in a way that they, that they don't do as much as they used to. That's very interesting. It'll be interesting to see how that how that works out. Uh, Nelson, um, you know, we talk about the U.S. and, and the polarization, the divide there, uh, not just between Republicans and Democrats. You've got divides between Republicans and Republicans. And, you know, the actions of January 6th are going to be resonating with us a bit. For I'm wondering, how is the Republican Party going to do damage control to ever get elected again after what they saw on January 6th? Well, uh I think in your question is the answer. The, que the question is, what is the Republican Party? Who is the Republican Party? So that's going to be sorted out if it does get sorted out by people within that party who have different uh, perspectives. Mm. But I want to bounce back and pick up on some themes that Shauna and, uh, and Scott uh, spoke about. I like the term public square. And what has destroyed the public square, once upon a time, the public square in Canada, for example, if you go back to the 50s and 60s, 
was CBC. It was the only network. Or you had your local paper and you had Canadian press. So people were reading essentially the same stories about what was going in Ottawa, going on in Parliament, whether they lived in Victoria or Halifax or Sudbury. With social media, that's all been destroyed. Not many people watch. CBC is fighting to survive. I don't know how many Mm. people tune into it. It's got not only these competitors on, on, on television and radio, with social media, you can avoid it completely. And it's the same thing with newspapers. So we don't have that common glue because people shared the same information uh, because of the nature of social media. And incidentally, I have to say, I'm probably one of the very few people in the world who's not on Facebook, who's not on Twitter, who doesn't follow social media, who reads the Globe and Mail and watches a little TV during the day. But even there, I see fragmentation because if I look at CNN, they're very different now than they were 10 years ago. And, and, and so we've gone from broadcasting to narrow casting. Now, if I, and now if I may say something about India, Shauna, sure. I've never been to India, but you talk about the politicization in different classes. My observation from this distance is that India is now a more egalitarian society than it was 50 years ago. There are challenges to the caste system. There are great divisions still but there are now, I believe, I, and I defer to you, that there are actually greater opportunities for people to move up. And I look at, at how um, Indians have become so prominent in technology. Many coming to Canada, to the United States, to Europe, which wouldn't have happened in the, in the past. So I think those are, are, are changes. Of course, democracy is something you always have to work at. And there are always going to be uh, divisions. And now polarizations have been heightened by social media. There's just no doubt about it. But, you know, we'll struggle. We'll work through. Mm -hmm. And there are great dangers. Populism uh, can become, as we saw, have a very ugly face. And it's uh, tougher to suppress. But hopefully, you know, I'm optimistic. All right. Now, uh, Scott, disillusioned voters and one of the sort of the threats to democracy that I was I was checking at. How do you, I guess, fight against disillusionment? You know, I think if I if I knew that I would probably have a much larger following than I do and I might be a successful politician. Um, A few years ago, I wrote about how disillusioned I was as a conservative voter. And McLean's was was overwhelmed with responses from other Canadians who felt that uh, the party had left them. And I went across the country as a result and had a series of dinners from coast to coast that got increasingly large. And it was a very humbling experience for me because I I treat politics like almost like sport. I look at it very analytically and mostly dispassionately. But when you're having a conversation with a woman in Regina who is in tears because she has a gay daughter but her family's always voted conservative and it's, it's completely destroyed her uh, identity of who she is. It really reminds you that uh, politics isn't a sport, that it has a, a real impact. And there's a lot of people out there who are genuinely pained at what they see as a loss of, of 
position or uh, a vulnerability. And we may look at the stats and we may you know, roll our eyes and say, well, everybody's got a widescreen TV right now, so they can't really be that hard done by. But nonetheless, there's this perception, perception across the country, increasingly of victimhood of from a variety of different uh, categories or even castes, you could say. And so that disillusionment is possibly the biggest threat that we face going forward. All the, the, the dangers and the monsters that we've been talking about, the, the, the future January 6th, they all rise out of a swamp of disillusionment. I'd add, I'd add Ed, to that. Disillusionment, sure. yes. Isolation's even a bigger issue. Yeah. It, what we've got in our society is so many people who feel isolated. I mean, I think one of the reasons that Trump became such a messiah for some is he said, you matter doesn't matter what anybody says. And if anybody tells you any differently, they're a uh, socialist, elitist, cappuccino sipping or urbanite, uh, you matter. And I think that we need to come back to that really fundamental sense that we live in community and that people matter. And it doesn't matter if they read this or that, that they have value and ideas and we need to bridge to that. We really need to enter into a conversation with people about the things that they care about and what they aspire to and really try and build relationships. I don't know how else to get there. I think of all the work we've done in conflict zones. I don't know except through dialogue and except through coming to terms with our humanity and our empathy and our collective sense of responsibility to one another, how we get there. And that to me is the anecdote that we need to get at what Scott's talking about the disillusionment. God, I can't remember the last time I really felt strongly about one particular. All right, uh, Nelson, party. you're still there? Um, I felt a disillusionment. Well, that's the life of doing a streaming show and a lockdown in a pandemic, but a few technical difficulties. We got most of the conversation out with our guests, and I want to thank them. Nelson Wiseman, professor of political science at the University of Toronto. Shauna Sylvester is with Simon Fraser University's Morris J. Wask Center for Dialogue. And Scott Gilmore is a former diplomat as well as columnist for Maclean's Magazine. And I want to thank you for watching Unpublished TV. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand. <laughs>